Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Man, we're so glad that you're here. And uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's celebrate God's truth together. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We believe in the Word of God. It's foundational for our lives. It teaches us how to live, how to think, how to be. And so uh, we're so grateful for God's truth. And, uh, and in Acts chapter 1, starting verse 3, I just want to read uh, this passage with you. And, and so we'll begin there. Luke is writing. He says, After his suffering, his being Jesus, after his suffering, He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them for over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of God to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this month, we've been talking about and looking at the reality of our responsibility to go on mission with God. And we're talking about being bold to the nations. We should be bold here at home to our neighbors as well. But this month specifically, we've been focusing on how do we take the gospel message out to the world, out to the nations. And so we need to understand and have looked at throughout this month that this is not just a New Testament concept. Like, this is not just a since Jesus came to the earth, God has been concerned about the nations and God wants salvation and blessing for everyone. If you go back and read all of Scripture, you see that from the very beginning, God has been working to reestablish His relationship with a broken, fallen humanity because of the impact of sin. And from the very beginning, God has wanted all of the nations to know Him, that He wants to bless Everyone poured out his favor on everyone. And so when we think about this, we start to see today how God's plan is going to come to the reality that all of the world would know him and that he would be known throughout the, the world. And so if you'd like to take notes and if you want to write some things down or if you follow along on the YouVersion Bible app, you can track along with us there. But here's the first thing that you need to kind of write down or pay attention to. God's plan 
for taking the gospel and reaching the nations is me. Now, don't write down Joel. That's not what I meant. If you wrote that down, it's like, God's plan for reaching the nations is Joel. No, that is going to fail big time. God's plan for reaching the nations is you, right? And if you write that down and go, it's you, it's somebody else. No, 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 maybe us. Us would be the better word there, okay? God's plan for reaching the nations with the gospel is us. We are his plan. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants to use the person sitting beside you to reach the world with the gospel. And there's two things that are at play to help us along that path. There's God's part in this, and then there's our part. And so we're going to talk for the first few minutes of this message this morning about what does it mean for God to do his part, and what does it mean for us to do our part. And so if you look back at Acts chapter 1, and you can also think of Matthew chapter 28, where we find the great commission that Jesus gave to us. And if Acts 1 sounded familiar, it's because last week we looked at Matthew chapter 28, and they're basically mirror passages. And so when you read Acts 1, you see this, that Jesus says in verse 4, Wait for the gift that my Father has promised. And then in verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Right? So God has promised that when Jesus left the earth, that he was going to send his Holy Spirit back to us. That God's gift, God's blessing to the world was going to be that he would empower you and me with his Holy Spirit. So he says to his disciples, go back to Jerusalem and just wait there. Don't do anything. Have you ever wondered why he told them not to do anything? Because outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, anything they had tried to do would fall short. It would have been useless. So as you guys go back to Jerusalem and wait, don't do anything. Sounds counterproductive, right? Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Then God is going to send his spirit into your lives in power. And he's going to empower you then to fulfill the commission that he's given, he's given to us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit also convicts us of sin the Holy Spirit draws people to repentance, sustains people in salvation, and sanctifies us daily to be more like Jesus. All right, so here's God's part. God's going to bless us by sending the Spirit in power. That's God's part. I want to bless the earth by sending the Spirit on my followers in power. Then we have to start thinking about what's our part. So at the end of verse 8 in Acts chapter 1, he says, You will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, You're going to do that. You're going to be my witnesses. And in Matthew chapter 28 that we talked about a few minutes ago in the Great Commission, he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, you go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded to you. And I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. So he says, your responsibility is to go. God's responsibility is to send the Spirit on us in power. Your responsibility then is this. Our part is to be obedient by being witnesses and making disciples. Because that's your part. That's my part. Be obedient God's given us the call. He's given us the message. He's commissioned us and told us, this is what I'm about, and this is what I want you to be about. Go into all the world and make disciples. So our part then is to go, yes, sir. Marching orders received. I am ready to go. If that's what you're about, that's what I'll be about. If that's what you want to happen, then that's what I'll do. 
I will be obedient to you, and I'll fulfill what you have called me to. God's plan to reach the nations with the gospel is for disciples of Jesus to receive the blessing of God, the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives, and then to be obedient by making disciples in all the earth. Now that's plan A, right? Plan B, in case that doesn't go well and that doesn't work, is this. Reread plan A and sign up to be obedient to that plan. Plan A, go make disciples all the world, be obedient. Plan B, if it's not going well, reread plan A, attach yourself to that, get it in your head, get it in your heart, and then go on mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we get so focused sometimes, I think, that this is about us and what we're capable of and what we're supposed to do. And the truth is, is that Jesus says, listen, I'm going to help you along the way. In fact, don't go until I send the Spirit, because you'll mess it up. But now that I've poured out my Spirit on you, you can go in my authority, in my power, and you can make disciples of all the nations. So all of us have a role to play in reaching the world with the good news of salvation. And there's typically three things we kind of think of and talk about in regards to that and fulfilling our part of God's plan. And I'm so grateful that a couple of weeks ago when Larry Neese was here, um, he went ahead and wrote my message for me today. And so I stole some things because that's what pastors do. We steal good things from other pastors and we put it into practice. And so Larry was here a few weeks ago. And here's what's crazy. I literally had already written some of these things down that Larry said on the stage. But since he said it first, I have to give him credit for it like he came up with it and I'm borrowing it from him now. And so anything you hear in the next few minutes is all from Larry. It's all him. You can just say thank you to Larry and, and I'll write him a note and say, hey man, thanks for, you know, for writing my sermon for me. But here's the passage that I want us to look at as we think about the three things that we can do to fulfill our part. God has sent his Holy Spirit. So what's our part? So look at Romans chapter 10 verses 12 through 15. He says, for there's no difference. This is Paul writing to the Roman church. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And he richly blesses all who call on him. What was that blessing? The power of the Holy Spirit, right? He's going to bless all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good news? You go, look, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so then he asked this question. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so Paul says, look, there's a task. God's given us his Holy Spirit, but he's commissioned us to go. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. But how are people going to do that if they've never heard the name of the Lord? And how can they hear the name of the Lord if people aren't going and preaching that message to them? And how can people go and preach that message if other people aren't sending them? And so he starts asking all these questions. He's going, we have a responsibility to play here. God has poured out his spirit, but what's our role? And so let me give you these three things. Number one is that we need to be goers. That's just a word we made up. It's pretty cool. We need to be goers. We need to be people who will go on this mission with God. And so when we think about that, we talk around here and go, every able-bodied person who can should go. If you can, you should go. 
It will change your life to go on mission with Jesus. Whether it's right here in your backyard or in our neighbor or in our nation or around the world. Everyone who can should go. And so as a church, we've laid out what we call our 2020 mission. We think about 2020 vision. We've got perfect vision. We can see clearly. Our church, our 2020 mission is just this, that everyone who can go by the year 2020 will go on a mission trip. That in the next few years, you'll take it upon yourself to identify, explore, find, use our church resources to connect with a missional point and go on a mission trip. That you can take the gospel to the nations. You can take the gospel to the world. Here's what I've learned in my life when God has given me chances to go out of my comfort zone. Going to the nations changes how I live at home. It really has. Every single time I've had an opportunity to go to another part of the world and take the gospel, whether it was to Zambia, Africa, or to India, or to Ecuador, or to Nicaragua, wherever these different places are that God's opened opportunities for me to go out, every time I go, I come home and I'm different. And being back home, because I've gone, it helps me to realize better how to live out the mission of Jesus here. Because when we go, it changes us. The very first mission trip that I went on as a student in high school, I was going into my senior year in high school and our church chartered a bus and drove a bunch of teenagers to Reynosa, Mexico. And we went just across the border because that was about as far as they were willing to take a bunch of snotty-nosed teenagers. And it was like, well, this, that's it. If something happens, we'll just run back, okay? And so uh, we're going to get you right across into Mexico. And so we're going to go there. And we worked in an orphanage that week. We hung sheetrock and painted. And my team, I was on a team with, uh, with some guys, my brother included, that we, uh, we hung shingles on a roof that was 90 feet off the ground. It was enormous. And we're out there in this, like, crazy heat. It's 115, 120 degrees during the day. And we literally, on the first day, we discovered that as we would put down the tar paper and try to work on it, our shoes would just melt into the tar and we would slide. And if you're sliding 90 feet above the ground, that's not a good thing. So they pulled us off of that job and went, you know what? We'll work before the sun comes up and after the sun goes down. And so our new jobs became just working the cooler parts of the day, right? And so that was what we kind of did. But during the day, a lot of times we would also take breaks from our jobs and we would go out into the city of Reynosa and we would find these places just to hang out. And just to be. And we would find opportunities to just be with families and kids. And I'll never forget the first time that we drove up into this little community. And as a teenager, having never seen just abject poverty before. And being struck by the condition that people lived in in a different part of the world. That really wasn't that far from the United States at all. But that they were living in basically things that they had taken off of the trash heaps that were just down the road from where they lived and made houses out of it. It looked like just basic plywood and sheet metal that they had found and anything that they could find that was a scrap and make a house out of. They had nothing, absolutely nothing. And yet, when we would go out and play, these kids would come out of nowhere and they would just surround us and they had the biggest smiles on their faces, and we played, and we would throw frisbees and kick soccer balls, and these kids just had the best time. And do you know what I found there my senior year of high school that changed me when I came home? It's that joy isn't dependent on the stuff we have. They were the most joyous people, and they had nothing. 
And being away changed me how I lived when I came home. It gave me a different perspective on how I live my life and how I carry the gospel into a culture that is driven and dominated by the stuff that we have. That people have everything and yet they don't have joy. And the people that I just found there had nothing, but they had joy. Which one of those two things is better? And so it changes us when we go away and when we come home, it changes us. So going will change you. So be a goer. Here's the second thing. Be a sender. Be a sender. If you can't go, and some of you can't, you're either too old to go or you're not healthy enough to go or whatever the situation may be, you just can't go. But you can be a sender. And here's what I mean by that. You can support those who are going. You can financially bless and give to people who are going. You can pray for people who are going. You can volunteer stateside here for the ministries that they're doing internationally there to help them with their stuff. As missionaries are on the field in other countries, other parts of the world, you might be their support team here. So be a sender. Stay in touch with the families here that the missionaries have left behind. Bless those people. Be able to send them and let them know that when they go away that we're taking care of things for them here at home. So let's be senders. When we think about that, my wife and I, our family, because we usually do short-term mission trips, God's given me a passion to lead the local church. And so that means that I'm here most of the time. But when we've had opportunities to go internationally, we try to do that. But beyond that, we look at things and go, there are people that we know, friends of ours, that are going internationally, and that's where they're investing their lives. They're on the field every single day. And so we've said, well, how can we support them? How can we be a blessing to them? So we have families on three different continents right now that are doing missions that we're supporting just monthly to give to them, to send them, to go, to love them, to pray for them, to support them. And that's our part here. Then last summer, we got a letter in the mail from one of my former students and uh, loved this girl. She was incredible, our church in Arkansas. And she wrote us a letter and said, I'm getting to go on an international mission trip and just looking for prayer support and financial support. And we get, man, that's great. We love her. Let's just send her some money and bless her. And that'll be awesome. A way to be a part of her trip. So we sent her a hundred bucks. And we're like, all right, fantastic. We got to give her some money for her trip. The next week, another letter comes in the mail. Another kid from the same youth group going, hey, going on this mission trip. It's going to be awesome. I just heard you're giving out money, and so I wanted to write you. And so uh, we loved that kid a little bit less, but still loved him. And so we are like, yeah, man, let's say, okay, so 100 bucks. here we go. Within a month, we had six letters from kids from our last youth group going, we're going on mission trips. It's going to be awesome. I hope you'll pray for us and support us. And so it was like, we're going to have to rethink our budget here a little bit and how we're going to do this next. And so we just kept sending out money and going, golly, God bless. Because for three years, I talked to these kids and our church taught these kids what it means to be on mission and to go into the world. And now here they are in their high school years and their early college years saying, we're just doing what you told us to do. So support us. Let's go. Right. And so they're going out. And I just love that. And that's the kind of culture that we want to develop and build here as well, that people get this heart of going, God is for the nations. He wants people in the world who haven't heard of him to hear. So let's go. And we want to be a sending church. We want to send people out. God may lay somebody's, on somebody's heart from this church to say, I'm, I'm not just going to go on short-term trips. I'm going to give my life to go overseas and be there and live and maybe God would allow us to be a sending church to just send your family and go and support you and love you and take care of you. But who, who's God going to send? Who's God going to send? Then the last thing that we can be is to be a learner. Maybe you're new to faith or maybe this whole idea of God being for the nations is kind of new to you and you're just going, 
I don't know. I'm, all this stuff you've been talking about this month is just brand new to me, and I didn't know we were supposed to do that. I just thought I was supposed to be a good Christian right here at home. And so what's this stuff about the nations? So you need to learn. And in this phase of life, our part is just to learn so that you can say, what does God want to teach me? What does he want to do in my heart? What does he want to do in my mind? How does he want to change me so that I can go in the future? Some of us need to learn how to budget better so we can have flexible uh, spending so that we can support mission trips and go on mission trips that way. Some of us need to better manage our time and think about, all right, every vacation I get doesn't have to be spent incredibly with my family. We could go on vacation to another country to take the gospel as missionaries. So some of us just need to learn how to budget some of those things, money, time, our talents. What has God given us and blessed us with that we can use for his purposes? And so during this period of time in your life, maybe you're just a learner. You're going, okay, God, so here's the question that you need to learn to ask. How do you want me to change in the next year so that I can be different a year from now and be ready to go? What do you want me to be different five years from now? So that five years from now, where will you send me? How can I go? Who can I take with me next time as I'm learning, as I'm growing? So ask yourself, how does God want me to be different a year from now? How does God want me to be different five years from now? And then jump onto that bandwagon and go. So be a learner. God has a role for you to play in his plan to make disciples in the world. And so here's what I love for us. Maybe your first learning experience would be to go on a local mission trip here with us. This summer, we're going to Kentucky with people from our church. And a lot of you are going to go on that trip. And maybe some of you just need to go, you know what? I've never gone before, but I'll do it. Let's go. I'll learn on that trip. And I promise you, you will learn. It'll be a great opportunity for you to learn. Last year, I got to take my nine-year-old with me to Kentucky. And he went first time being on a mission trip. It was awesome. And he's still to this day, he's going, Dad, Kentucky was so cool. That was a great mission trip. Are we going again this year? Can we go? Will you take me again? It's like he wants to go. He's learning what it means to be on mission with God. And so I love seeing that. But that's the same thing that we need to do. We need to learn. So I want us to look at one more passage of Scripture this morning as we kind of continue down. We've talked about God's part. We've talked about our part now. Here's another element of what God does and how we take it in. But let's look at this passage of Scripture, taking our part in accomplishing the Great Commission. Psalm chapter 67. And David is writing to the nation. And he says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways, God, may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him, fear him. Last week, we talked about the fact that God has been working from the beginning to draw people into relationship with him. He said he started with a person. He developed a covenant relationship with Abram. And then out of Abram, he developed a nation. And then he gave Moses leadership responsibility of the nation to bring them out of Egypt to slavery and to bring them to their own promised land. And in the land that he gave them, he blessed them. They became this nation in that land. And then in that nation, they became a kingdom. And then from the kingdom, there came kings and there came priests and there came prophets. And so as all of these things unfolded, the final revelation of who God was going to be was when Jesus came to earth. And Jesus came to be the final, ultimate revelation of God to us. And so in all of that, when we talked about these things, as the nation of Israel was forming, God tells Moses, hey, for the nations, you've got them out of captivity now and you're bringing them into freedom. I want you to put priests over them. 
So I'm choosing Aaron and his sons to be priests of the nation. And then Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say a blessing over the priests so then they in turn can bless the nation. And so here's what we hear. And David is kind of stealing from this. But in Numbers chapter, tw- uh, chapter 6, verse 22, Moses spoke over Aaron and his sons. And he said, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. And so the priests were to offer this blessing over the nation. They were to say, man, let's, let's as a nation, let's be blessed. God wants to bless us. He wants to do these things. So then David took the priestly prayer, the priestly blessing, and he said, let's take that prayer and let's apply it now to the whole nation and how God wants us to bless the world. Because not, God's not just about Israel. He's about the whole world. And so here's what David wrote again. David took that prayer. He said, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Man, we love that part, don't we? Like, God, be bless us, gracious to us, shine on us, love it. Blessings, God, just t- I'll take all the blessings you got, give them to me, give them to me. And David goes, that's all great. That's what we've been saying all along. May God bless us. And then David turns the, the script just a little bit. And he says, so that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among the nations. He even repeats it at the end of the chapter. Our God blesses us and may God bless us still. In other words, he says, may there be even more abundant blessings and continuing blessings. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. So if you have your Bibles this morning in Psalm 67, underline, highlight, circle, whatever you need to do to make that stand out. But he goes, God's blessings come on us so that we can be a blessing to others. God pours out his blessings on us so that all the nations of the earth will know him, will fear him. Our blessings are never for us alone. Here's the next truth on your outline if you want to take notes. We are stewards of the blessings God gives. We're stewards of those things. We are stewards of the blessings that God gives. So think about it in your life. Man, what are some of those blessings God's given to you? That you say, of the blessings I have that I've received from God, what is my so that? God has blessed me so that I may be a blessing to someone else. Maybe it's financially. You just go, God's blessed me financially so that I can be a blessing to somebody else. One of the ways that you can do that just simply, we've got a display table out in the, the gathering area with Compassion International kids on it. And so this one, his name is uh, Siwa Seju, I think. And I chose him because he lives in Thailand where Tracy and Shauna Ship live, some of our good friends that are on their missionaries there. I talked about them a couple of weeks ago. And, and so this boy, he lives in Thailand. And, uh, and for $38 a month, If you have a financial blessing, you could take a kid like this and support him, pay for his school, pay for his uh, his education, pay for stuff for his family to live, just take care of a family. And so somebody during the service needs to be praying, God, do I support Siwa Seju? And then you're going to come up to me after the service and go, I got Siwa, and I'm going to hand you this and go, thanks for supporting him, okay? And so you're going to start praying right now about supporting him. If you've got a financial blessing, 38 bucks a month, you can do this. Uh, Heather and I, our family, we support a little girl, and uh, in part of our compassion uh, continued relationship with her. We write her letters, and she writes us back. And just this past, uh, a couple of months ago, we sent her an extra 
kind of gift and it was asked for for compassion. And then this week we got a letter in the mail with a picture of her and she had uh, new shoes she had bought for school and some new stuff that she had gotten for herself. And she was able to buy her mom a Mother's Day gift with the money that we had sent to her. And we got this picture in the mail just going, look at what, what our generosity was able to do for her. Right, And those are the kind of things that God makes an impact on her life through the blessings that we've been given financially. So how's God blessed you? Other ways, maybe just using your gifts and skills to benefit others or using your time. You know, time is the greatest resource we have. It's the greatest blessing that we've been given by God. And so how do we use our time? Maybe you use your home as a blessing. God's blessed us with a home. How do we use it? Parents, if you sat in with your kids or husbands and wives, if you sat down and just said, how do we use our home as a way to be a blessing to other people? I mean, my parents growing up, uh, they always wanted my brother and I to have our buddies over to their house. It was like, just come on, come on over, bring your buddies, we'll hang out. They can spend the night. Like we almost were never told. If you went to my parents and said, can we have a friend over? The answer was almost always, sure, that'd be great. And here's why. Because my parents had decided our house was going to be a place that they would use for God's glory. And my mom had the gift of evangelism. And if kids came and spent the night at our house, there was a pretty good chance she was going to tell them about Jesus. And there was multiple times growing up that I had a friend who came unknowingly to my house and walked away with a faith in Jesus. And several of them, many of them, are still walking with Jesus today. Because our home became a place where the gospel was shared. How do you use your home? Open yourself up to be in a place where the gospel is shared. Have your neighbors over for meals. Have Bible studies in your home. Some of you have chosen to foster kids or adopt children. It's amazing. They come into your life not knowing anything about Jesus. And as you open your home up to them, you're able to bring them to church, tell them stories about God. We've got a family in our life group that was just talking about that earlier this year of going, man, we, we took in some foster kids, did not know who Jesus was had never been to church. And now they live in this Christian home, being exposed to the gospel, hearing the truth about Jesus. That's what our homes are for. We're blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Here's the last one. Clean out your closets and your basements, for crying out loud. <laughs> Have a yard sale, and all that trash that you don't want is someone's treasure, and they're going to pay you money for it. And when they do... Turn back around and give that to a charity, to a mission organization. Bless somebody somehow. Find ways to use the blessings you've been given and support other people. Be creative. Find your ways to give back. Here's the next stuff that you can write down if you want to. God is gracious to us and blesses us so that we may make him known in all the earth. David took that priestly blessing and he applied it to all of Israel. And then in the New Testament, Peter takes that idea and he says, God is building us up as Christians into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. He's called us priests of God. He says, we're a holy priesthood in the same way that the priests of Israel were given a blessing to the nation. And then David says, the nation becomes a blessing to everyone. Now in the New Testament era, we are priests and the blessing of God that comes to us turns back around and we give it out because we are priests to this world of God's blessings. So we need to find ways to use that. I love something that Dave Ramsey said. He said, God doesn't raise our standard of living to just give us more stuff. We raise our standard of living to raise our standard of giving. I love that. 
the American dream says, when you get more money coming in, buy more stuff to fill your place. The gospel says, when God blesses you, use that blessing to bless other people. Raise your standard of, of living to raise your standard of giving. What do you need to give? How do you need to give? What do you need to do? Now, I know some of you in the room really intelligent people. Others of you may be very skeptical people. And as I've been sitting here, you're kind of still back in an early part of the message where I said there was a plan A and there was no plan B. And some of you have been coming up with some stuff in your mind, haven't you? And you've been thinking about it for a while and you've gone, I came up with a plan B. I just want to share it with you. And uh, here it is. And so some of you guys really smart. I know you came up with this on your own. I didn't have to tell you, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, But you kind of went, here's the deal. What if God didn't use us to make him known in all the world? What if God just opened the heavens and stepped out and went, hi, here I am. Everybody look, get a good look. And some of you are like, oh yeah, that would be way, way better. Right? Like then it's not dependent on us. God can just do it. People will see him. They'll believe. There's no way they cannot acknowledge him and not believe in him. If he steps out of heaven and he shows himself, everyone has to say in that moment, God is real. God is true. I believe in him. That's that. Right? Great commission fulfilled. Why doesn't God just do that? Well, he tried. In the Old Testament, You go back and you look at the nation of Israel, and when God drew them out of slavery in Egypt, he was with them as a pillar of cloud in the day and fire at night. He would call Moses up onto a mountainside. He would represent himself on that mountain in smoke and and in lightning and in thunder, and the people would see the visible presence of God. When they built the tabernacle, his glory came and dwelled in the Holy of Holies. The Shekinah glory of God in that place. And how did Israel respond to it? Did they leave in faith and obedience? No. They just kept rebelling against God. His visible presence with them did not result in love and obedience. It resulted in in disobedience and rebellion. Jesus comes onto the scene in the New Testament. Thomas asks him, Lord, will you show us the Father? He goes, wait a minute. What do you mean show you the Father? Don't you know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. We're the same. And yet, his disciples didn't always even trust him and obey him and love him the way we wanted to. The Pharisees and the Sadducees certainly different. The religious leaders wanted to kill him. God in flesh. And they went, no, that's not good enough. Even for his followers, the Bible says in Matthew 28 that when Jesus came back to life, he spent 40 days with his disciples. He walked around with them. He taught them. He gave them proofs of his, of his life, his risen body. He ate meals with them. He let them touch him. And then right before Jesus gives the great commission and goes back to heaven, do you know what Matthew says about that? It says some of his disciples worshipped him. But then there were others who doubted and would not believe. You're going, what more presence do you need? What, what does he have to do? He died and came back to life. What do you want? Right? And so here's what I'm getting around to. The reason that God doesn't just open up heaven and step out and go, here I am, everybody believe in me, is because, guys, we don't have a sight problem. We have a heart problem. And even if God were 
to step into time and show us himself in that way, people still would not believe. The book of Revelation makes that really clear. It actually says that after Jesus comes back, he's going to reign on earth in perfection for a thousand years. And then you know what's going to happen after a thousand years of perfect reign under King Jesus? There's going to be a rebellion and an army that no one can count is going to rise up like they're going to take over. <laughs> because it's not a problem with our eyes. It's a problem with our hearts. We experience this kind of thing all the time, right? Here's where I want us to close, just really quick. We experience this kind of thing all the time. Things that we see and we know about, but it doesn't change us. Let me give you three really practical illustrations. Uh, number one is smoking. We've all seen pictures of what a healthy lung looks like and what a lung filled with cigarette smoke and nicotine looks like, right? And yet, people continue to smoke. It's not changing anything. We see it. We know it. doesn't change anything. That's fine. Here's another one. What about texting and driving? Go, yep, seen all the statistics. I've been behind the person swerving around. I was there texting on their phone and driving. I know what happens when you text and drive. Doesn't stop any of us from texting and driving, does it? We got to be on Facebook checking to make sure that while we're going 70 miles an hour, somebody hasn't said something that's important for us. Right? Doesn't change our knowledge. We know it. We see it. Doesn't change our hearts. Here's the next one. We all just, you know, maybe a lot of you just watched the NBA Finals. LeBron got swept again. Second time in his career he's been swept. And yet some people are still saying he's better than Michael Jordan. I'm just saying, we're watching his career, right? So you go, look, it doesn't matter what we see. It's not a problem with our eyes. It's a problem with our hearts. We don't need eye surgery. We need heart surgery. We need God to step in through his disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit and reveal himself to people, convict them of sin, and draw them into relationship with God. And that happens when we're obedient to go. And so this morning, one of the guys in our band was telling me a story. He said, I've been asking myself this question. If you've been talking through this series about why does God use us? Why does God want us? Why does God need us? Why doesn't he just do it? It'd be way less complicated, way less messy. We mess up all the time. We're not always faithful and obedient. Because I've been asking myself this question, but then this week, as I was out in the yard, and I was kind of thinking through some of these things, I was watering my flowers. He said, my little girl, who's about to turn two, comes walking up, and she wants to help water the flowers. He goes, I didn't need her help. I could water the flowers all by myself. But I handed her that water hose, and she tried her best to squeeze the trigger of the nozzle to get water to come out. We couldn't do it, so I put my hand over the top of hers, and I squeezed and helped. And the whole time I'm just going, I'm so glad you're here with me. I'm just glad you're a part of this with me. I want to teach you something and I want to invest in your life. and I want you to know me and I want to develop relationship with you. And he went, it was in that moment that I just kind of got it. I mean, this is why God uses us. He doesn't need us, but he loves us. He's got things for us to learn. He's got things he wants to show us. He wants to include us just because he likes being with us. Just like Jesse's little girl, she was dependent on him to help squeeze the trigger, point the hose. And when we go on missions with God, we start to realize more and more, God, we're so dependent on you. We need you way more than we ever thought. We can't do this on our own, God. We need you 
to help hold our hand. We need you to empower us. We need you to point us in the right direction. We need to feel your closeness. We need to grow and be stretched and be taught. And so God says, so I'm going to use you. And through you, I'm going to go into the world and I'm going to perform heart surgeries. And your hand is going to be the scalpel that I use to get below the surface of the hurt and the pain that people feel and work in their heart to reveal truth, to let them know there's hope in their hopelessness and say, things can be better and I can change you. That's what God desires to do. He uses us to do it. So let's go. Let's go. And let's be bold. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. I'm thankful for these truths. I'm thankful for the things that you teach me. I'm thankful for the things that you show us all the time about who you are, what you're doing, what you're about in this world. God, I just pray that you will in the power of your Holy Spirit, operate on us today. And in this time and in this place, get below that surface level of all the junk in our lives and cut out the things that don't belong so that we'll be obedient to you and follow you and trust you. Jesus, we love you and ask in your name. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.